Keep your Bibles open to Proverbs chapter 3. And um, it was funny when I was preparing for this, something interesting happened at our house. Our boys were uh, playing with a cardboard box. Even though they've got more toys than you could ever play with in one lifetime, it was a box that they were playing with. And uh, this particular box was bigger than both of them can bind. It was a really big box and it was completely empty. And what they wanted to do was both of them sit on the same edge of the box and have daddy take a picture. And I told them, I said, guys, listen, let's just think about this for a second. It's a really bad idea. And they're like, no, 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 we're going to sit here on the edge of the box and we're going to have you take a picture. I said, guys, that box is empty. It is bigger than you. If you sit, both of you, on the same edge, it's going to topple over. And so will you. No, 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 you know. You understand at this point, these kids don't listen, all right? So, so what do they do? They go, and both of them sit on the same edge of the empty box at the same time, and the box flips over, and they tumble to the ground, and I'm the loving father that I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I was like, I told you so, right? Like, I mean, what did you think was going to happen? This is exactly what I said was going to happen if you did this, but they did it. And that may seem like a bit of a silly story, but it actually illustrates the folly of man surprisingly well, does it not? Because here's what I believe. I truly believe that the majority of people in our world today have their own box. They all have something that they are leaning on, that they are trusting in, that cannot actually support them the way they think it can. They're putting everything in it. They've got all their hope in it, all their trust in it, and they think that it can support them, but it can't. It's actually going to lead to their fault. I mean, for many people, you can just think, for, for many people, it's their job. For other people, they're trusting in the government and others. It's uh, friends and family. Uh, for some people, it's their own ingenuity and their abilities. But so many people in our world are trusting in something that cannot actually support them. And it's going to lead to a topple. It's going to lead to a fall. Because basically, all of these things, they will fail you. But here's what we learn in this passage. This is why this passage is so encouraging. This passage tells us that we can entrust ourselves to Christ completely because he will not fail us. And that's good news, is it not? All of these things, they will fail you. But the Bible is inviting us here to entrust ourselves to God completely because he will not fail you. He will not fail you today. He will not fail you tomorrow. He will never fail you. And so what I want us to do this morning, I want for everybody in here this morning to begin to loosen their grips on all of these false sources of security that we have. I want us to begin to let go of these things that we're putting our hope in and our trust in and and all of our assurance in. And I want us to begin to trust in Christ completely. And so the question naturally is, well, then how do we do that? How do we entrust ourselves to Christ completely? And I want you to notice how the Bible starts here. Look at the very first command that the Bible has for us here in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Now, these are probably the most popular verses in all the book of Proverbs. Wouldn't you imagine? I mean, these are some of the most popular verses. You know, last week we said the passage we were going over, you would never find those verses on coffee mugs and t-shirts, bumper stickers. But, but these verses you do, right? You see them all the time. They're everywhere. 
they're nice, they're encouraging, but, but here's the problem, is that I think these verses sometimes give people a sense of false security. You might be wondering, well, how does, how does that happen? It's because everybody who calls himself a Christian believes that he's already doing this thing. And so they see the Bible say, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. They go, well, done. Is that all it took? I'm good. I've done everything I need to do. Of, of course I'm trusting in God with all my heart. But the question is, are you really? Can you say of yourself this morning that you are truly trusting in God with all of your heart? And here's what gets me. The word trust here, it's special. We think of trust like, oh, I'm just going to believe in something. I'm just going to maybe put a little bit of trust over here. The word trust here, it comes from an Arabic word, which means to actually cast yourself on the ground, on your face, before another person. To lie spread eagle at the mercy of another. And here's what I know about that. We don't like that sense of vulnerability, do we? I mean, is anyone here going to volunteer to just go up to someone and lay spread eagle right in front of them at their mercy? Probably not. We, we don't like that sense of, of vulnerability and, and surrender. It, it makes us uncomfortable, does it not? I mean, it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you've ever seen someone do a trust fall. They're pretty funny, okay? Like, not if you're doing one. I've done one. I did not like it. But basically, when someone does a trust fall, they're supposed to close their eyes and cross their arms and just fall backwards into the arms of another person or a bunch of people. And not for me. I've tried it. Uh, I tend not to trust people too much, so that was really uncomfortable for me because I didn't like the idea of closing my eyes and falling backwards and not knowing if this person behind me is actually going to catch me. I don't know. For all I know, they could let me fall to the ground. And so if you've ever seen someone do a trust fall, no one has ever just, you know, they, they, they just go right back. It's always just like, you know, bracing themselves and it's all anxious and hesitant. And you're like, I don't know what's happening to this person right now. Just fall backwards, right? It's a very hesitant type thing. They're anxious about it because they don't really trust that that person's not going to let them fall. Or you can imagine like a toddler learning how to swim. Uh, I was trying to teach Judah how to swim last summer, and we were in the pool, and he had these floaties, so it went across his chest and his arms. He was totally fine. He was not going to go under the water at all. And so we get in the water, and I'm like, all right, buddy, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to let go, and I'm going to be right here next to you, and you can use your arms and your legs. He's clinging to me. I mean, I'm like a tree, and he's a bear, and he's just bear hugging me. And so I'm like, no, all right, so here's what we'll do. I was like, I'll hold your hands, and we'll just work on kicking. So you let go. I'll hold your hands. You work on kicking. Would not let me go. He's just clinging. I'm like, how about I put my hands under your stomach? And then you can do your arms and legs. Would not happen. He is just will not let me go. Fingernails are just in me. I've got blood marks coming down. Like this is, you know, he's not letting go. Because he was afraid that the floaties were not going to be able to support him. He was afraid that I was not going to be able to support him. He thought that he was going to go under and sink. It's pretty hesitant, right? Now, I want you to compare those two images of someone doing a trust fall and a toddler learning how to swim to a rock star doing a stage dive. Have you ever seen that? It's real fun, all right? If you've ever seen a rock star do a stage dive, there is no hesitancy there at all, is there? 
they're just all amped up and they run to the stage and they dive out into the crowd. No one asks them to do this. No one's like, hey, well, you go ahead, do it. We'll catch you. They just assume. He just jumps out boldly and he is fully trusting that everybody under him is going to hold him up and support him. Right now, here's what I want us to do with this. I think one of our biggest problems in the church today, one of the biggest problems for Christians is that our trust in God usually resembles someone doing a hesitant trust fall or a toddler learning how to swim rather than a rock star doing a stage dive. Would you agree? When it comes to Christians today, you rarely see Christians who are just all in, fully trusting God, complete surrender, complete vulnerability. Everything is at his feet. Most of the time, there's a whole bunch of hesitancy there. Most of the time, people have a whole lot of reservations. They are holding something back, and they are not able to fully surrender it to Christ. And and so here's what I want us to do this morning. In order to entrust ourselves to God completely, we must rid ourselves of reservations. That's what it means to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. It means that you must be willing to give up every single reservation you have. Every single thing that is holding you back. It's a call to take a stage dive into the arms of Christ because He will not fail you. You take a stage dive into the arms of Christ, and here's what I can promise you this morning. He is not going to let you fall. He will not fail you. And so what's, what's stopping us from doing this? What is it that's actually preventing God's people from fully trusting in Him in this way? Well, the Bible answers that too. It says that we're leaning on our own understanding, right? Right? You're not going to be able to entrust yourself to Christ completely and rid yourself of reservations as long as you are leaning on your own understanding. Uh, So, for instance, if I start leaning on the pulpit, what's supporting me, church? The the pulpit. Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm leaning on, right? And so the Bible is saying here that we're never going to be able to entrust ourselves to God as long as we're leaning on our own understanding because the problem is, It's not actually supporting us the way we think it is. It's actually holding us back. It's not truly supporting us. It's holding us back. It made me think of, uh, you you probably know this story very well, but it made me think of Cortez the Conqueror. When he and his men were trying to take over the, the modern Yucatan Peninsula, everywhere they landed, they were engaging in battle. And what would happen is they'd go ashore, they'd start engaging in battle, and they would lose every single time. Even though they had the bigger army, they had the more advanced weaponry, all that kind of stuff, they kept losing. And what Cortez noticed is that his men weren't actually giving it their all in battle. It was just a half-hearted attempt to win the battle. And what he also noticed is that in the midst of the battle, his men kept looking back at their ships. And he realized that the men, the ships, were actually holding the men back because the ships weren't out. The men kept thinking to themselves, well, hey, if we lose here, no big deal because we can just get right back on board our ships. We can pack up our stuff and we can go home and pretend none of this ever happened. We're good. And so on their last attempt, Cortez sent his men ashore and then he followed shortly after them. But as he was going to shore, before he actually got in the boat, he set all the ships on fire burned them. 
He gets to the shore, and his men are naturally distraught. They're anxious. They're freaking out. They, they go, what are you doing? You just burned all our ships. That's our way home. That's our way of escape. What, what, what are you do? What are we going to do now? And Cortez looked at him. He said, that's exactly right. We have no plan B. We have no way of escape. We have no more safeguards, no more safety nets. We have two options, men. We either win or die. And they won. Once they finally rid themselves of what was holding them back, they were able to give it their all in battle. And so here's what I want to ask you this morning, church. Something I want to ask you to consider. What are your ships? What are the things in your life that you are leaning on, that you are trusting in, that are actually holding you back from full surrender to Christ? What is it that's holding you back from being able to entrust yourself to Him completely today? I know that for many people, it's their shame. I've talked to so many people, and according to their own understanding, they say, well, I can't come to Christ. I can't follow Him. I can't do this because Jesus would never want someone like me. After everything I've done in my life, after all my sin, after all my failures, He would never want me, and so their shame holds them back. I know that for other people, it's the response of others. Because they start thinking to themselves, well, if I truly do cast myself on Christ and I step out in faith in Jesus, they start thinking, well, what are other people going to think about me? Are are my friends still going to want to be friends with me? Is my family going to treat me any differently? For other people, it's their fear. They think, well, if I truly do commit myself to following Christ, what is that going to mean for my marriage? What's that going to mean for for my my career? What's that going to mean in terms of reorienting all of my life and all of my desires and all of my priorities? Because that's what following Christ is. You understand that, church, right? Can we get on the same page here? Following Christ is not sitting in here on a Sunday morning. It is reorienting every aspect of your life and submitting it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and saying, He is my God, He rules my life, His ways are my ways, and I am not going to pursue any of my own desires. Everything is Jesus. That's following Christ. That has nothing to do with just sitting here on a Sunday morning. Any unbeliever can do that. I think the thing that truly causes people the most reservations about following Christ though. The thing that holds back most people. It's the fear of truly letting go of all their sources of security. Getting rid of all their safety nets and fully relying on Christ. Because listen to me, that's scary, is it not? We like a good safety net, don't we? Safety nets are nice. Fallback plans are nice. But if you're going to follow Christ, he says you have to rid yourself of all those things. And I know this is hard for the world, but it's hard for church people too. Because church people have safety nets. We know that too, right? People think, hey, I love Jesus. I'm going to follow him. But, but just in case like that's not enough, praise God I've got my baptism and I'm clinging to that thing. I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm praying that like I'm doing it right and that's enough. But if not, I'm real glad I'm the member of a church. And Jesus can just look at that, and that's something that's, that's going in my you know, check column. That's getting me into heaven. 
I'm going to follow Jesus, but, but if that's not truly like working out and everything, I'm glad that I prayed that prayer one time. I filled out that card. I walked down the aisle. I'm glad I served as a deacon. I'm glad I, I sang in the choir. All of these things, they are nothing more than false sources of security. Do we understand that? Baptism? Absolutely. The next step after you come to faith in Christ, you should do it in obedience, 100%. You should be a member of a local church. Absolutely. You should serve in the church, 100%. But if you think that any one of those things is getting you into heaven, you are totally mistaken. They cannot save you. Christ can save you. He is the only source of salvation. And so if your trust is in anything but Him, listen to me, brother, you have placed your trust in a false source of security. And so to truly trust in the Lord with all your heart, it means you've got to let go of those things. You have to stop trusting in them and put all your faith in Christ. I like the way A.W. Tozer said it. This is what he said. Pseudo-faith always arranges a way out to serve in case God fails. Real faith knows only one way and gladly allows itself to be stripped of a second way or makeshift substitutes. For true faith, it is either God or total collapse. Amen. I mean, that's exactly what we're saying here. In order to entrust ourselves to Christ completely, we must rid ourselves of reservations. It means we stop leaning on our own understanding. It means we don't let our fear, our shame, our shortcomings hold us back. We burn the ships, we rid ourselves of reservations, and we take a stage dive into the arms of Christ because He will not fail us. I can't tell you how many quadrillions of people have ever lived on earth throughout human history. But one thing I can tell you this morning with absolute certainty is that from the moment God made man to walk upon the face of the earth, he has not failed a single person. And he will not fail you either. And so this first verse, it's a call for an exclusive commitment to Christ. Have no trust in anything else. Have no dependence or assurance in anything else. Christ and Christ alone. But notice the second verse, it's a call for a comprehensive commitment to Christ. Because notice what it says, verse 6, in all your ways, now important to note there in the Hebrew, all, it means all. (laughs) In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now the word acknowledge is very interesting. It does seem in the English like it's simply saying, hey, just kind of acknowledge Christ, you know, uh, say that you're a Christian, talk about Jesus, stuff like that. But, but the, the word acknowledge, that's not actually a great translation here because that word, it has to do with a deep, intimate knowledge that comes from being in a personal relationship with someone. So, so for instance, you can think about it like this. And I had to learn this the hard way. Before I make any decision in my life, I think about my wife. Again, had to learn that the hard way. Before I make any decision, men, are you hearing me? I think and ask myself, what would Anna think about this decision? 
Is this something she's going to be happy about or is this going to be a conversation later? You know, that kind of thing. Like before anything I do, I'm like, what does she think about it? What would she want me to do in this situation? And then I'm able to make a decision. But the reason I'm able to do that is because I know my wife. I know her intimately. I know her personally. I know what makes her happy. I know what makes her angry most of the time, I think. Yeah, yeah, she says that's fine. Yeah, good. All right. Well, the Bible is saying here, That that's what the righteous do with God. The Bible is saying that if you are truly a Christian and you truly want to walk the path of righteousness, then God, listen to me, God must be part of every single aspect and decision in your life. Are you seeing that, church? In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He must be part of every decision and must be part of every aspect. When you're considering things, you must take his stance and his ways into consideration before you make any sort of decision. And this happens from the little things to the big things, from changing jobs to pursuing a potential spouse to spending your money to navigating conflict. In all your ways, acknowledge him, know him intimately, know him personally, and entrust all your ways and decisions to him. I want you to think about what the Bible is saying here. The Bible is saying here that you can't give part of your life to God. Do you see that? You you can't say, God, I'll give you part of my life. You you know, you can have Sundays most of the time. Occasionally a Wednesday if I'm feeling super holy. God, you can have that part of my life. Those are yours. But, But everything else is me. It's all my decisions. It's all what I want. It's all my pursuits. It's all what's going to make me the happiest. You can have Sundays and Wednesdays, but the rest of the time, it's my life. And the Bible is saying here, it doesn't work that way. If you're going to follow Christ, you can't give him part of your life. It also means that you can't give God part of your heart. You can't say, God, hey, I appreciate Jesus. Super thankful for salvation because hell sounded really bad. But understand that there are things that I love more than you. These things over here are what I actually love. They're what I actually want to spend my time pursuing. They're what I actually want to spend uh, my time investing in and, and giving myself to. So I am really thankful for Jesus. Don't get me wrong, I am. But these things, they really have my heart. It means that you can't give God some of your obedience. Which I think, I mean, there's a whole sermon here. I'm not going to preach it today, but I think that's one big thing Christians struggles with. We give God part of our obedience. We say, okay, what are the easy ones? Try to go to church. Got it. Super easy. I've done that, God. You're going to be so happy and proud of me. I've done that. That's part of my obedience. And you say, what are the other big ones? Okay, I'll try not to cuss. Try not to drink. Try not to chew or go with girls who do. Lord, got that down, right? I'll do my best on that. So those are the real easy things. Those are the big red flags. Not going to cheat on my spouse. You know, I won't go do hard drugs or anything like that. Those are good. Fine. Anyone can do that for the most part, right? Like it doesn't take a Christian. It's not that hard to do any of those things. But we want to give him part of our obedience. And then all the other stuff that is actually hard, we don't want to do those things. When he calls us to lay down an area of our lives at his feet, we say, God, I I didn't agree to that. When he's convicting us about anger in our lives, when he's convicting us about arrogance or the way that we talk to other people, 
our commitment, the way that we handle conflict, these are areas where we're like, God, you're not supposed to be in these areas. I gave you your obedience. But the Bible is saying here, in all of your ways. Meaning you can't just give him part of your obedience. If you were to follow Christ, you must give him everything. That's what it requires. All of your trust, all of your ways, all of your life, exclusively and comprehensively. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And when you do this, the Bible says, He will make straight your paths. Now that sounds nice, does it not? It's another interesting verse because this is one that's often very misunderstood. A lot of times people read this verse and they go, hey, just acknowledge God and everything will kind of work out in your life, right? Just just call out to God, say you're a Christian, acknowledge Him, shout your dependence on Christ, and then life's just going to work out. It's going to be all sunshine and rainbows, you know? You're going to get that dream car, that house you've always wanted. You'll win the lottery. You'll never have to work another day in your life. You won't get sick or have heart problems. Everything's going to be great. Just acknowledge Him. This is exactly what the prosperity preachers wanted to say, don't they? I mean, that's what they preach and teach. They say, hey, all you have to do is just give a little money to our church and our ministry, have a little faith, say that you love Jesus. I don't know if you mean it or not, but just say it. And if you do that, you sow that seed of faith, God's going to bless you tenfold. And your life is just going to be easy peasy. Doesn't align with life at all, does it, Christians? Some of the best Christians I know are ones who have suffered more than anyone else I've ever met. That's not what this verse is saying. The word straight here, it actually refers to behavior. And specifically, it refers to behavior that is upright, honest, and does not go astray. And so rather than this verse saying, hey, just become a Christian and life's just going to be all easy and work out for you all the time, what this verse is actually saying is that as we grow in a relationship with God and come to know Him more and more personally and intimately, He changes us from the inside out. As you invest in that relationship, as you grow in that relationship, He actually begins to change you. Because that's what happens in a relationship, right? Like, again, men, I feel like you should be able to say this about your wife, but I know personally I'm a better person now than I used to be due to being in a relationship with Anna. Like, that's just clear as day to me. I know I'm better now than I used to be, and that comes a large part from being in a relationship with her. She has made me a better person. And again, men, you should be able to say that about your relationship with your wife, right? Yeah? Amen. Women, go home and have a talk with your men. Look at them, not even nodding or saying anything. My wife and I, we're good. I guess next week, Proverbs, we're going to talk about marriage. (laughs) But no, listen, what the Bible is saying here is that the more we entrust ourselves to God and grow in a relationship with Him, the more He changes us and makes us into the people He created us to be. And I'm confident that every person who calls himself a Christian here this morning can say amen to that about their relationship with God, at least in your life, right? I mean, has being in a relationship with God not made you a better person? Has He not changed you drastically from who you used to be? Has He not started softening your heart? Has He not started ridding you in your life of those sins that you were struggling with so much? 
are you not better off now than you were before you were in a relationship with Christ? I mean, that's just the power of our God. That's what he does. I mean, I think about our, um, my buddies at Perry Correctional Facility. Brian and I, we go over to Perry and we, uh, we serve the inmates over there. And I, I love those guys. I mean, I have met so many of those men who have just blown my mind because they committed legitimate crimes. I mean, they're in there for a reason. And I've met so many men in there who entered that place a lost criminal and then heard the gospel for the first time while in prison, were convicted by the Holy Spirit, they repented of their sins, trusted in Christ for salvation, and now they are totally committed to Christ. I mean, they are brand new people. It will absolutely just make you passionate about ministry again, going to serve those men in there. Because we went and we served Christmas lunch to all the inmates there, took forever, took hours, and we got to see all the inmates in the facility and work with a bunch who were part of the chaplaincy program there. And I remember as we were fixing the plates, overhearing so many conversations between men who were talking about Jesus and the Bible. No one else was around. They were serving their own stations. It wasn't like this was for show. It was just grown men talking about how much they loved Jesus, talking about what they were reading in the Bible, and they were passionate about it. I remember talking to one of my buddies there, James, and as James and I were talking, and he was telling me about a sermon that he was writing that he was hoping to get to preach in the chapel there. I remember this is one thing he said to me, and I wrote it down. He said, Pastor, I might still be in lockup, but I'm not the person I was when I entered this place, thanks to Jesus. I mean, is that not amazing? That's what our God does. That is the power of God. He takes dead people and he gives them life. He he takes the worst of sinners and he makes them saints. He takes the worn out, the beaten down, the shameful, the despised, the outcast, the downtrodden, and he makes them entirely new creations for the glory of God. That's the power of Christ in the gospel. I mean, man, it just gets you fired up to see it in action there, does it not? He makes us new and he sets us on a new path. And because we are on that new path, and He's the one who is guiding us, and we're following in His footsteps, it means we're not going to go astray. So let me tell you, uh, the, the last thing I want you to know this morning, in order to entrust ourselves to God completely, we must let Him lead our lives. We must let Him lead our lives. If you are in control of your life, you're going to go astray, right? Right? Yes, amen, pastor, of course I am. I do it all the time. You are, 100%. But if Christ is leading your life, you will not go astray. In other words, as odd as it might sound, the Christian's freedom is found in submission to Christ. That is where true freedom is found. Because as long as we're leaning on our own understanding, our paths will never be straight. We will continue to go astray because, listen to me, and I mean this with all the love in my heart that I have for you, we are absolutely terrible at navigating our own lives. Are we not? Uh, every day when I pick up the boys from Gene and Vicky's, we drive home and Ezzie normally sits in my lap and helps me drive and we almost die every day because he helps me drive. Uh, but Judah sits in the front seat and he serves as my navigator and... Um, 
So what we do is, again, let me just state this. We wouldn't be doing that if we didn't live within spitting distance of Gene and Vicki. So for everybody who doesn't know where I live, they're like, you shouldn't be doing that. I'm like, I, I get it. But again, you could spit and hit their house. So we're, we're good, all right? But we're getting to the end of the driveway. And every single day, I say to Judah, okay, navigator, are we good to turn? And without missing a beat, he says, yes, sir, good to turn. The problem is, the boy has never once looked to see if we're good to turn. I mean, I love him to death, but he is a terrible navigator. He's not even looking. Like, if I were truly to entrust him with our lives, we would be dead at this point. But here's the thing. As bad as he is at navigating for me, we're all much worse at navigating our lives apart from God. Are we not? And if you can't say amen to that, you need to just remember your life so far. (laughs) Because let me just ask you this. I mean, have you not realized by this point that we are our biggest problem at every aspect and point in our lives? We are the worst at navigating our lives. Listen to me. Who has caused you more trouble in your life than you? Who has caused you more problems in your life than you? Who's caused you more pain? Who's caused you more heartache? Who has caused you to go astray more times in your life than you? If the women are looking at the men now, that's where we're really going to have a marriage seminar next week. We are absolutely the worst at leading and directing our lives. If our lives are left in our hands, we're headed for death. But here's what God says in this passage. He says, it doesn't have to be that way. He says, give me the reins to your life. Give me control of your life. Hand me the will. I will guide you down paths of righteousness. I will lead the way. As long as I am in control, you will not go astray. And that's a good promise, is it not? So God invites us today to stop trusting in ourselves To stop trusting in our works and in our goodness and our religious activities and our understanding and begin to truly trust in Christ alone. And I know that's scary. I know it makes many people anxious. It means you've got to be vulnerable and willing to submit. But I can promise you one thing this morning is that if you will do that, you'll turn from your sins and cast yourself on Jesus, he will not fail you. He will not let you down. You come to him today, you trust in him today, you begin to walk with him today, and he will change you from the inside out. You will be an entirely new creation on a new path. Because listen to me, the God who literally upholds the universe who causes the sun to continue to shine, who holds the stars in place, who sustains all of life, He's able to handle you. If He can take care of all that, He can take care of you. So we need to entrust ourselves to Him completely because He will not fail us. Amen, church? Let's go to God in prayer.